0: Then the angel of the Lord came up from Gilgal to Balkim and said, I led you up from Egypt and brought you to the land of which I swore to your fathers. And I said, I will never break my covenant with you. And you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land. You shall tear down their altars. But you have not obeyed my voice. Why have you done this? Therefore also I said, I will not drive them out before you. But they shall be as thorns in your side, and their gods shall be a snare to you. So it was when the angel of the Lord spoke these words to all the children of Israel that the people lifted up their voices and wept. Then they called the name of that place Bochim, and they sacrificed there to the Lord. And when Joshua had dismissed the people, the children of Israel went each to his own inheritance to possess the Lamb. So the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua, and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great works of the Lord which he had done for Israel. Now Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died when he was one hundred and ten years old, and they buried him within the border of his inheritance at Timnath-Harris in the mountains of Ephraim on the north side of Mount Gash. When all that generation had been gathered to their fathers, another generation arose after them who did not know the Lord, nor the work which he had done for Israel.
1: Then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. And they forsook the Lord God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. And they followed other gods from among the gods of the people who were around them, and they bowed down to them, and, and they provoked the Lord to anger. They forsook the Lord and served Baal and the Ashtoreths. And the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel. So he delivered them into the hands of plunderers who despoiled them. And he sold them into the hands of their enemies all around, so that they could no longer stand before their enemies. Wherever they went out, the hand of the Lord was against them for calamity. As the Lord said, had said, and as the Lord had sworn to them, and they were greatly distressed. Nevertheless, the Lord raised up judges who delivered them out of the hand of those who plundered them, yet they would not listen to their judges, but they played the harlot with other gods and bowed down to them. They turned quickly from the way in, in which their fathers walked, and in, in obeying and commandments sorry, in the in obeying the commandments of the Lord, they did not do so. And when the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with the judge and delivered them out of the hand of their enemies all all the days of the judge. For the Lord was moved to pity by their groaning because of those who oppressed them and harassed them. And it came to pass when the judge was dead that they reverted and behaved more corruptly than their fathers by following other gods to serve them and bow down to them. They did not cease from their own doings nor from their stubborn way.
0: Then the anger of the Lord was high against Israel, and he said, Because this nation has transgressed my covenant, which I have commanded their fathers, and has not heeded my voice, I also will no longer drive out before them any of the nations, nations which Joshua left when he died, so that through them I may test Israel, whether they will walk, whether they will keep the ways of the Lord, and walk in them as their fathers kept them, or not. Therefore, the Lord left those nations without driving them out immediately, nor did he deliver them into the hand of Joshua.
2: Thank you, boys, for reading Scripture this morning. I selected that chapter in particular, uh, believe that that chapter is one of the critical chapters in the book that kind of helps us see this pattern that emerges, this cycle that we'll be talking about encompasses most of this book, okay? We're taking another road trip this morning to the book of Judges. This is about the halfway point of our series here this summer as we are taking a book of the Bible each week for 14 weeks. We started in Genesis and we will conclude our summer in Second Chronicles. Okay, so that's where we're headed. That's in today we are in the book of Judges. So with that in mind, I'm going to ask if you would to join me in a word of prayer and we'll jump in. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your son Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for your Holy Spirit who abides in us. Lord, I pray that you would teach us this day through your word, that you would make us what you want us to be, that you would shape us according to the image of your Son. Lord, in the midst of a world that largely profanes your name, See that we shine like stars, exposing the darkness around us, being the light that you've called us to be. Make us walk in the path of your commandments and see that our our witness is effective, that others might come to know your Son and have eternal life. Lord, we pray this morning that you would speak this is your word. I'm your messenger. Pray that your words would be spoken. Your words would be received. That it would be your words that people hear and take to heart. So, Lord, through your word, I pray that you would work on us. And I pray that this generation here before us would never forget you, nor your word, nor the testimony of your mighty works. We pray this in the name of Jesus, the one who rescued us, the one who delivered us. Amen. I was thinking through this book of Judges and was reminded of of a few Proverbs and I'd like to share those with you here right up front. Kind of sets the stage, I believe, for where we're going. Proverbs 29 verse 6: "By transgression, an evil man is snared." Proverbs 29:25: "The fear of man brings a snare." But whoever trusts in the Lord shall be safe. And here we see in these two passages of Scripture the end of of what the Bible calls a fool. He's going to be ensnared. Proverbs 28 26 really, in many ways, defines the fool. He who trusts in his own heart is a fool. That's pretty clear. But whoever walks wisely will be delivered. Or how about these verses? These are probably more familiar verses from Proverbs. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all of your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. And then there's Proverbs 26, verse 11. As a dog returns to his own vomit, so a fool... Repeats his folly. You know, I, this past week I had an opportunity, the Lord brought this to my attention as I was reading some of those Proverbs and thinking through the book of Judges. You know how the Lord works? The week of preparation, He gives you some things that tie in directly to what you're going to be preaching. And as odd as it may seem and sound and as obscure and strange as it is, I was leaving the house early one morning this past week. And I walked out the front door and I saw our cat. One of our cats. Greeted me there on the front step as I was coming in out the door. While I was coming out, I closed the door and all of a sudden I see the cat like start backing up doing just acting strange. And the cat proceeded to unload some things out of her stomach. Not wanting to leave that on the front porch before I left, took care of it. As I was taking care of it, noticed that it was a mouse. She was taking care of of a mouse and it didn't settle too well. It was messy. It wasn't a whole lot of fun to clean it up for sure. So I witnessed this week on the backside of what came out, her starting to go back to it. I moved a cat away. No. The proverb says, as a dog returns to his vomit. I witnessed this week a cat doing the very same thing. Gross illustration. I understand. But you know what? I bring it forward for you, not only because it attaches to the proverb, but because this book of Judges is gross. Gross. In many ways, it's gross. It represents something that is gross. Sin. To give another, perhaps more palatable illustration. I had the opportunity to work some Some games this past week, several games going on this week. And as part of that experience this week, I noticed some patterns. And I've noticed some patterns over time, but I noticed them, they came to light a little bit more this week. Patterns emerged from players and from the coaches and from the fans. I've come to recognize these patterns. They serve as a a mirror to the culture that we live in. A society where everyone does what's right in his own eyes, where it's always someone else's fault. We live in a surely not I culture. Gotta be somebody else. Patterns emerge on the playing court, no one ever fouls. It's amazing. Coaches want to referee. And fans are fair-weathered. If their team wins, no, they like the refs. If their team loses, there's the worst refs ever. Patterns emerge. There's this lack of authority. There's no responsibility taken. There's a shortage of respect. Attitudes, galore, self-centeredness abounds, where players think that the game is all about. Them entitlement reigns. Spend any time refereeing basketball during the summer, in particular, and you see what I call these snapshots of culture. And what I'm seeing is not good, it's getting worse, progressing downhill rapidly. Players, coaches, fans, and yes, as painful as it is to admit, sometimes I've seen officials contribute to this muck and mire. He who trusts in his own heart is a fool. And there are a whole lot of fools, biblically speaking, roaming the earth today. The book of Judges, church, reminds me of the fool who repeats his folly. The cat who returns to her own vomit. The one who is wise in his own eyes. We go from the book of Joshua, where the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua, to the book of Judges, where the people did what was right in their own eyes. From Joshua, where the people promise to put away the foreign gods among them and obey the voice of God Joshua 24 verse 23 to the book of Judges where the people are found quickly not obeying the voice of God chapter 2 verse 2 of Judges in Joshua the people of God commit to follow God's laws we will serve him And Judges, the people of God, forsake God's laws. Time and time and time again. Joshua recounts God at work through the lives of his people. And in particular, his servant, Joshua. Judges describes the sinful patterns and tendencies of his people. The repeated unfaithfulness and waywardness of Israel. The book of Judges is bleak and dismal in many respects. And yet, it captures the mercy, the compassion, faithfulness of God as he continues to keep covenant with his people Israel. Hill and Walton in their Old Testament summary book. They say that in the, in the book of Judges, covenant failures of the people were met by covenant faithfulness from the Lord. God, through the angel of the Lord, who comes on the scene in Judges chapter 2, at the end of verse 1, says, I will never break My covenant with you. Now listen, church. Isn't it good to know that the God we serve will never break covenant with us, his people? He's speaking that in regard to his people Israel in that time. But it is also true, isn't it? That what God promises, he can and will accomplish. Do we by faith believe that to be true? For those of you hearing this message, this book of Judges, I believe in many ways is a book of hope. You might be far away from God this morning. You might be wandering from His path currently. This book provides you with A God who punishes sin. He's a just God, for sure. We see this. But he's also merciful and faithful to his promises. Listen, we we covered last week that not one word of God's fails. All come to pass. That's the testimony of Joshua. And I would ask, who wouldn't want to serve a God like this? Who would, as it says in Joshua 24, who would really think it evil to serve this kind of God? You read through the book of Judges and you notice very quickly that its characters are flawed. Any flawed characters in the house today? Okay, this... this. This might connect here, okay? Because what we read, when you open the book of Judges, it's, it's a gallery of flawed people, is it not? They're broken. They're, many of them, immature spiritually. They're, they're a bit on the extreme end of things. There's some really odd characters here in the book of Judges. Some lack... Tacked with people. I think of Samson. Hey, 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 dad and mom, get her for me. You know, sometimes as I'm reading the scripture, I I, I put in the margins, and it seems like maybe more so in the book of Judges, uh, huh? Question mark. I don't talk to my parents that way. So there's there's this lack of, of tact. Some, some of these folks in here in Judges, they're, they're, they're weak. They, they feel insignificant. They feel like they can't be the ones to lead God's people, i.e. Gideon. Some are products of a broken home. And this, I believe, is a message all in itself to study the life and character of Jephthah. Son of a harlot. Jephthah, by the way, is also in that gallery of faith in Hebrews 11. Some are fearful. Some make bad decisions over and over again. The, the sins of the people in this book, they're, they're laid open in full view, are they Not? No hiding, no sweeping under the rug, no pretending, transgressing God's laws becomes the way of life. It's, it's normal as opposed to abnormal. I mean, after all, everyone's doing what's right in their own eyes. But one generation ago, it wasn't that way. Judges picks up one generation. One generation. I'll say it one more time. One generation is all it took after Joshua. Look what the text says. Judges chapter 2, verse 10. When all that generation had been gathered to their fathers, that's Joshua and his generation, another generation arose after them who did not know the Lord nor the work which he had done for Israel. This is one of the most startling verses in the whole book. Things, as we talked about and left last week's message, things couldn't have been a whole lot better as Joshua, the book of Joshua, that is, closes. The people of God commit to serving the Lord with all their heart, putting away the foreign gods, inclining their hearts to the Lord, choosing to serve the Lord their God all their days. It looked great. And now, here we are, two chapters in the Judges, the very next book of the Scripture, a continuation, if you will, of Joshua in many ways. God's people are hardly recognizable. They've been appointed their respective lands in Canaan. And yet they look more like Canaan than they do Israel. They have the aroma, the stench of those around them. Those of us in Christ today, are we not to have a certain aroma of Christ that we give off wherever we go? Christ in us ought to make a difference. Remember this. This goes all the way back to the time right before Mount Sinai, Exodus 19.6. I want you to remember what the Lord has said about his people. This is who I want you to know that you are. This is, I'm with you, but I'm, here's, what I'm, here's my picture for you, Israel. And you... This is Exodus 19, 6. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. In other words, God's saying you are intended to be a light to the world that's watching. Shine like stars. Show the world what I'm like. Paul picks up on that picture and imagery, I believe, in Philippians, doesn't he? when he calls us to shine like stars in a perverse generation. Remember two weeks ago, we talked about God's distribution plan as we were covering the book of Deuteronomy. And we talked about how Deuteronomy breaks down God's plan to get his laws passed along to the next generation. It happens ideally through the family unit, right? Through dads and moms, faithfully taking his word in their own hearts, then passing it along, living it out before their children, that they might take it in, that they might pass it on to their children, and so on and so on. Well, something went awry with this distribution plan between Joshua and Judges, didn't it? One generation after Joshua is theologically illiterate and biblically Illiterate. They neither knew the Lord nor the work which he'd done for Israel. Now, it seems to me that we are living in a post-Joshua era once again. The wheels have just fallen off spiritually. There is a, as the prophet said, a famine in the land. Few seem to know God. No, not about him, know him, relationship with him, right? This is what Jesus talks about, remember, in the Sermon on the Mount. There's going to be a day, Lord, Lord, didn't we do this? Didn't we prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, away from me? I never knew you. The word knew has in mind relationship. I never had relationship with you. Fewer still seem to know much of God's word. Well we might carry it around with us. But by and large, we don't read it. We don't read it. We don't take it in. So in the midst of an absence of God and and God's word, what's the default, church? What's the default alternative for many today? Where do we go for help? If we're not going there, where do we go? How about self-help? Self-help. You ever go into a bookstore lately? You see that title on the shelf? Loads of books line self-help. Judges chapter 2 verse 19, the end of 19 says, They did not cease from their own doings, nor from their stubborn way. Proverbs 3, 7, I remind you again, do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. Now, this book of Judges that we're talking about this morning is a road trip that covers uh, well over 300 years. Travel some distance in the book of Judges in terms of history, time. The idea of judge, this is the book of Judges, it's important, I believe, to be clear on the title. It's not talking about a, a man or a woman dressed in a black robe, necessarily. We have this vision and picture of a, a, a judge sitting behind you know, with a, a gavel in hand, black robe, meeting out judgments that come. The judges that are described here in the biblical text, in the book of Judges, are not appointed in any official way. They're they're not anointed. They they didn't inherit their office. Uh, They weren't elected in. And they surely weren't chosen because of any spiritual merit. Right? Hopefully that's plain as we read through it. The writer said, God raised these judges up To deliver Israel. And the most prominent tasks undertaken by the judges were military in nature. The judge was establishing justice for the Israelites who were oppressed by other peoples. So a judge then, as we think about the book of Judges, a judge is a deliverer or one bringing justice. A deliverer. Or one bringing justice, not in a courtroom setting per se, but on the battlefield. One who led the nation, or a particular tribe of God, in battle to bring deliverance. So, if you look up here on the board for just a moment, we see this pathway or this structure in the book of judges chapter 1 verse 1 through chapter 2 verse 10 I just label this uh, precursors to the cycle and we'll touch on the cycle itself here in just a moment but these are precursors to the cycle chapter 1 through chapter 2 verse 10 and then chapter 2 verse 11 through the end of chapter 16 which is the bulk of the book right the cycle repeats And we're going to see it repeat and repeat and repeat. And we're going to go through that cycle here in just a moment. It's going to repeat. And then chapter 17 through 21, we're going to see the cycle, what I just referred to in living color. In other words, you you see uh, all of it. It's pretty vivid. It's pretty, to go back to the word we used early, it's gross. It's not pretty. Sin never is. So as we think about the the precursors to the cycle, let me give you a couple words and thoughts here to connect to that. Really what we see here in these opening verses of Judges, a refusal to drive out the enemy nations in the land of Canaan. Right? This was the promised land. They're going to be inheriting. God's people are inheriting the land. They've been given the land. Joshua um, divided the land. That was one of his big tasks. He and Eleazar and the heads of the tribes, they divided the land as God helped them do that. But here in the early stages of Judges, we see that there was this refusal to drive out the enemy nations and the subsequent consequences of disobedience, Right? So we see, we see there's this disobedience as a precursor. We also see a disregard for God and his word here in these opening verses. A disregard for God and his word. They were called to drive out the inhabitants. Remember, God had promised and he said, I am giving you this land. This land is yours. Inherit the land. Go possess the land Dispossess the enemy nations. I've given them to you. All these kinds of phrases have just been repeated and repeated and repeated. Fact. If you go back to Deuteronomy for just a moment in your Bible to Deuteronomy chapter 11. I'll read just a few verses. This is back in Deuteronomy while they're still on the other side of the Jordan on the plains of Moab. And all kinds of of words spoken here by Moses. Chapter 11, verse 16. Take heed to yourselves, tells the people. Lest your heart be deceived, and you turn aside and serve other gods and worship them. Lest the Lord's anger be aroused against you. And he shut up the heavens so that there be no rain, and the land yield no produce. And you perish quickly from the good land which the Lord is giving you. Skip down to 22. For if you carefully keep all these commandments, which I command you to do, to love the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to hold fast to him, then the Lord will drive out all these nations from before you, and you will dispossess greater and mighty nations than yourselves. So, what's the key here? Is it not obedience? If you carefully keep all these commandments which I command you, then the Lord will drive out these people. Turn to the end of Joshua. Chapter 23. I'll pick it up in verse 11. Therefore take careful heed to yourselves. There's another warning. Warning. Warning, take careful heed to yourselves that you love the Lord your God. Listen, I want you to see there's a connect here between obedience and love. Perhaps one of the reasons they find themselves not obeying is because they really don't love the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, mind and strength. Perhaps that's also true of you and me today. We find ourselves in disobedience. Why is it? Do we love something or someone greater than we do our Lord Jesus Christ? Food for thought. In this... First chapter and a half of Judges. We see these warnings. This is not new information, what we're reading about in Judges. This has been spoken. This has been warned. God, through Moses, has warned the people. God, through Joshua, has warned the people. Told them what will happen if they turn from God and His commandments. And we see there, we read in Judges 2, verse 10... The last verse of that first section, this generation, there's this disconnect within one generation. So, these precursors to the cycle to come here in chapters 2 through 16, the precursors, uh, disobedience, a disregard for God, disregard for His word, this whole idea of driving out the inhabitants, it was lost. They, they, they had been told what to do, they'd been told. And so we see this disconnect that happens in one generation. And so from Judges 2 verse 11 through the end of 16, we see a repetition of Israel's transgressions against God and his laws. And we see these patterns emerge. We see what many call this this sin cycle emerge. I have put six numbers up here. And if you want to jot these down, you're welcome to do this. You probably have seen it divided in a different way. And that's fine. It's from the scripture. I didn't make any of this up. You can actually track it in Judges chapter 2 and you can track it in several other accounts where this cycle is present. And maybe the labels, you would label them differently, but for our time this morning, number one represents sin. Represents sin. And, and, And really in many ways we see as we go through this cycle... The reference to the children of Israel doing evil in the sight of the Lord. Okay? That phrase. The children of, of Israel doing evil in the sight of the Lord. That's representative of, of the beginning cycle here. Sin. Number two. Now I just want to give you... One word, and I'll I'll elaborate on that word, and and you can write down if you want to some different thoughts. But I'm just going to give you one word for simplicity's sake. And that is, uh, number two would be delivery. Delivery. Uh, The wording a lot of times in the scripture is uh, God handing them over. Or God selling them to uh, an enemy nation. Uh, The hot anger and displeasure of God. God. And as a result, he hands them over. He, he delivers them. So delivery, right here, number two. Number three, having been delivered over to enemy nation for some period of time. Then what we see in the pattern, in the cycle, is, uh, here's the one word, cry. And they cry out to the Lord. The people of God cry out to him. Number four. Following that cry out to God, we see God raise up a, here's the word, deliverer. We have delivery, he hands them over. We have deliverer, God raises up a judge. He raises up a judge, number five. The word I want you to write down is rescue. rescue he raises up this judge and he rescues his people israel through that judge for a particular time which ties in and connects to number 6 here's the word for 6 and it's rest rest you see the bible says that in the in the days of that particular judge that god would raise up to rescue his people he provides a period of rest during the days of that judge And you might be inclined to ask, well, how then do I get from six back to one? Good question. The Bible gives an answer. The Bible says that when that judge dies, that the people then revert to their old patterns and ways again. Now we're back to one, aren't we? Cycle is complete. So when you read the book of Judges and you, and you go through and you read, for instance, look at, look at Othniel, chapter 3, verse 7. Let's just walk through this. We did this in our family worship time this week. I think it was a helpful thing. I know it was for me. Hopefully it was for the rest of the family. Just to be able to walk through and see from the scripture what I'm just talking about here, This cycle that gets repeated. Here it is, starting in verse 7 So of chapter 3. So the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. That's number one. They forgot the Lord, their God, and served the Baals and Asherahs. Therefore, the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel, and he sold them into the hand. That's number two. Cushan Rishathayim, king of Mesopotamia. So Israel served Mesopotamia for eight years. When the children of Israel cried out to the Lord, that's number three, right? The Lord raised up a... Deliverer, number four. Okay. It was Othniel, the son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother. The spirit of the Lord, another theme, by the way, in this book of Judges, the spirit of the Lord coming upon comes upon Othniel right here in verse 10. And he judged Israel. He went out to war against Mesopotamia. And it says that he prevailed. Number five, God brought about victory, right? Through this judge, brought about a rescue. And then the last verse there in that section, verse 11, so the land had rest, there's our word, number six, the land had rest for 40 years. And then Othniel died. Now let's get us back to one. Look at verse 12. And the children of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord. There we are. Do we see this? I think walking through one, just as an example, may be helpful. So that as you go through and you read the book of Judges, you can kind of... In fact, in the margins, that's one of the things I did this week. I thought it was helpful personally for me. I just put in the margins one, two, three, four, five. And, you know, there's, some of those Judges are, are very short, aren't they? Like one verse. And so here's what I did with Shamgar at the end, the last verse of Judges chapter 3. With Shamgar, after him was Shamgar, the son of Anath. Well, who's Shamgar? He's a judge. So number four, he's a deliverer, right? He's, he, he's, he, I got four down here. And he kills 600 men. What an incredible story here uh, with an ox goad. And he also delivered Israel. That's number five. So for Shamgar, I only have four and five. There are going to be some of these judges. You're not going to get all one through six, okay? But it's interesting to just go through all of the judges and just write down in the margins, one, two, three, four, five, six. That way it helps you then as you go back through, you know what these are, is they're connected to different words and ideas and thoughts in the pattern of scripture, okay? So what we see here in this second section, the largest section of the scripture of Judges is this repetition of Israel's transgressions against God, against his laws. We see these patterns emerge, the sin cycle becomes apparent and... You know, really, as we look at the the cycle itself and we see these judges that are raised up, uh, there's more given here in the scripture uh, in regard to Othniel and Ehud and Deborah and Gideon and Abimelech and Jephthah and Samson than there is Shamgar, Tola, Jair, Ibsun, Elon, and Abdon. You might say they're minor judges. Minor, not because they weren't as important as the other folk, but minor, they just didn't get the the press, the, 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 the space in the text. We don't know a whole lot about them. Okay, so they're minor in that regard. Well, this last section of the scripture in Judges is really a rendering of what happens when Israel takes on the habits of Canaan. We see... This cycle and living color. If I was to give you three eyes To define this last section. Here's the first I I would give you. Idolatry. Idolatry. Uh, we meet an interesting character named Micah. Remember him? Uh, interesting fellow. Uh, we, we see his story there in, in Judges 17 and 18. We see this personal idolatry, but we also see uh, the tribe of Dan, uh, tribal idolatry. I mean, it goes bigger than just personal idolatry. So that's the first eye. There's another eye that I think characterizes this section of Judges, and that is immorality. Immorality. Uh, chapter 19, uh, the whole deal around the, uh, the concubine... And what happens there in Gibeah, um, it's awful. So, So we have idolatry, we have immorality, and we have, lastly, what I would just call infighting. Or we could also label it civil war. Chapter 20 and 21. The Benjamites end up going to war with the rest of Israel over this issue. This immorality. We see in chapter 20, verse 35, that the Lord defeated Benjamin before Israel. The Lord defeated, and again, we go back to, even in the midst of this section, we go back to what God is doing. God raises up a deliverer. God brings rescue and victory through the deliverer. God does that. You know, in many ways, that cycle that we see there in the middle. One judge dies, people return to their sinning. In fact, we can go back before the judges and we see that when Joshua dies, this starts happening. Really. This generation. There's another generation that comes up that doesn't know the Lord. Doesn't recall the things that he's done. It's like the fool returning and repeating his folly, returning to his vomit. Holding on to his own stubborn ways, forsaking the words and ways of God. It's interesting as we look at the book and we're reminded of this pattern that emerges. I'd like to be able to, as we close, bring forward uh, what I've just called, a, over the last few weeks, a, a gospel thread here. To kind of give us uh, something specific to think through in this book. As it pertains to, remember our, our, our series theme is 66 colon 1. And what that means is, 66 books of the Bible, one main attraction. The one main attraction is Christ. And all of what we're reading is pointing forward to the Christ who is to come. How in such a bleak, dismal book of Judges do we get to Christ? I resonate with, with your thoughts this morning. It was interesting as you were bringing that forward. I can see how you might have some hard times figuring out how to use the book of Judges for leading us into the Lord's Supper. I can, I can see in part that difficulty. But Judges shows us the devastating consequences of sin. Let me ask you, church, does the gospel have anything to do with sin? Okay. It's it's important we ask the question and it's important we get the answer right. Yes, the gospel has... A lot to do with sin. Sure does. In fact, let's put it forward and let's say that to present the gospel, to talk about the gospel and to leave sin out is really not the gospel. Can we just say that? Let me ask another question. Is there any need you think To speak of sin today. Yeah. What is sin? I'll give you two basic understandings. We could go a long time on that one. But let's just be real clear and simple. Sin is any transgression of the law of God, right? The Bible tells us that in 1 John. Uh, We also read in, in the book of James that Sin is knowing the good that you ought to do and just not doing it. I love the way the practical way James describes it. You know the good you ought to do and you don't do it. Sin. So we have this good news. We have the gospel. We have this good news and, and we need to ask the question then, where does sin fit into this good news? Let me give you A few summary thoughts from the book of Judges. First of all, God will not leave sin unpunished. I think that's one of the things we see in this book of Judges. God will not leave sin unpunished. Here's the second thing we learn from the book of Judges. Sin's consequences impact the individual sinning And those around him or her. In fact, sometimes those sins get carried over into another generation. Sin is damaging, isn't it? Number three. God has provided a deliverer. God's provided a deliverer. His name? Jesus Christ. And this deliverer has secured your rescue. Through the cross. This is good news. We can't talk a whole lot about the good news until we deal with the bad news. Some ugly stuff. Sometimes that's that's that mess that you're looking at. It's, It's messy. But the good news of the book of Judges... The gospel that comes shining through in the book of Judges, while Judges is is black and bleak and dismal in many ways, it points us to what sin is and how sin fits in the picture of the good news, the gospel. Sin is a part of this. Sin without this good news and the gospel over here is hopeless, but when it. Is put and placed in its proper context what you begin to see is that things aren't over yet the book of Judges might say in the very last verse in those days there was no king in Israel everyone did what was right in his own eyes and you're left and you're just going oh this is, this is terrible listen We've gone Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges. That's seven books. We're covering 66. The story's not over. It's to be continued. But it's all filling in pieces, pointing, shining light toward the one main attraction. This is so good to see. This gospel thread. Sin demands payment. God is a holy God. The Bible says the wages of sin is what? It's death. We deserve death because of our sin. But we also see the Bible says thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. It is indescribable. It's amazing that God would send his son. His one and only Son. Here's a fourth thing. About this book of Judges. And perhaps it's a segue to what I've just talked about. Maybe some of you here this morning are asking, well, what do I need to do about my sin? This book of Judges is about sin. What do I need to do about my sin? You remember number three? Cry out. Cry out. The Bible, as we get further down the road, is going to use terminology like repent. Repent, turn to God in faith, do works befitting a repentant life. Do works that line up and match what it is to follow Christ. What do I need to do about my sin? Cry out. Number five. What else does this book of Judges teach us? As we talk about the subject matter of sin, I believe one of the things that also becomes clear, and it will unfold as we keep going, and that is that we are called to walk in victory. 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 God raises up a deliverer so that his people would have victory. We are some of the, I'm talking about Christ followers, some of the most defeated people. We walk around defeated. Been reminded of that. We have victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Your work in the Lord is not in vain. He died that you might have abundant joy. He died that you might have life. He secured the victory through his son. And we're called by God to walk in what he accomplished. We're called, in fact, to stand. To put on his full armor and abide in Christ daily. Here's the last one, the sixth one. From the book of Judges. And I believe this book, as we think about the big theme of sin and that that ugliness that's there and and, and all the follow-up that comes. And again, we're going to see this unfold as we keep moving through the scriptures and that is experience his promised rest. There was a period of time where the people of Israel experienced rest during the days of that judge. Friends, there's good news here. There's hope here. The Hebrew writer says in chapter 3 that there remains a rest for the people of God. He goes on and says, let us therefore be diligent. Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. What kind of disobedience is the Hebrew writer referring to? Is it not what we're reading about right here now? came across a book title that just jumped off the shelf at me and I'm not please don't go look it up or go buy it okay it's called who yeah, It's an interesting title for a book isn't it who I, I like the subtitle solve your number one problem Listen, this is talking about hiring the right people in the workplace. That's what this is talking about. But as I read that, I'm thinking about what we're talking about this morning. You can solve, listen, you can solve your number one problem, sin. You can solve that today. There's no need to wait Today can be the day that you stop wallowing in your sin. Today can be the day that you do something about this sin, this something that's separating you right now from a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the who. He's the who. We need to understand, Christ is the who. He's the one who alone can solve your number one problem. God made him who had no sin to be sin for you that you might become the righteousness of God in Christ. So we close where we began. Trust in the Lord, church. With all of your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him. He shall direct your paths. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. As a dog returns to his own vomit, so a fool repeats his folly. A book that in many ways is dark and bleak, grotesque. It's one of the 66 books of the Bible. It's one of the books that speaks to this subject matter of sin. And sin is directly connected to the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He went to the cross, Christ did... To do something about and completely satisfy and atone for your sin and mine. He took care of that guilt, that penalty, that shame. He took care of that through what his son did at the cross. And so while the last verse of this book seems gloomy, seems like things are just not going to get any better. And you might be sitting here today thinking about that for your own life. I woe is me. Your mentality. Listen. The gospel is good news. Sin fits in that context. But sin's not the end of the story. Keep looking. Keep your eyes fixed. The author and perfecter of the faith. Look unto Jesus. Keep looking. We're not done yet. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for teaching us through your word and I thank you for this book of Judges. A whole lot here for us to consider. A whole lot here for us to take action on. A whole lot here for us to perhaps repent of sin in our own lives. I pray, Lord, that you would lead us, that you would take us by the hand, that that you would remind us that today is the day to settle things with you, to cry out to you, to repent, to turn from our own wicked ways that we would entrust our lives with you and know that we can trust you because you're a faithful God. Everything that you say, you do. Not one word of yours fails. All has come to pass. Thank you for being our rock and our fortress. And I pray this people here at Hope in Christ would truly put their hope in you through your son Jesus and live this abundant victorious life that you've intended your people to live and have this abundant joy we only have that Lord because of what Christ did at the cross subsequent resurrection from the dead remind us each day of your goodness and this wonderful gift of salvation that you've provided for us I pray that we would be the lights and the stars that you've called us to be in this perverse generation and that we would shine like stars. And remember that just in those words that you spoke to your people Israel back in the day in Exodus 19, a holy people is what you've called us to be. A kingdom of priests. A people who follow in your ways. A people who make you known. A people who exalt you. May it be so in our lives, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.